All right, team. Uh, very welcome. Uh, I'm super excited for today's session uh, because, uh, first of all, it's houseful, and I can see so many comments coming in about Alfrex. And uh, definitely, we have three guests from Alfrex joining us today. It's Melissa, uh, the director of technology solutions marketing at Alfrex. Uh, my friend David Swinner, uh, senior director of product marketing. And uh, Monica, uh, manager product marketing team. Uh, we are also calling them a mid data burst, uh, data science mid bursters. So I'm sure you guys are ready to your some of the myths in the data science and analytics space. Uh, also today we will be discussing a lot around data and analytics. These data, these analytics leaders are known as mid bursters uh, because they are surely gonna. Uh, share some of the real insights today. Uh, so feel free to, uh, you know, go ahead and ask any questions that you have. I see a lot of folks already typing in all breaks, hidden. Uh, thanks for your patience. We're facing some technical issues, but I see everyone's there backstage. A quick uh, uh, announcement about the big giveaway that we're doing is, and I watch uh, from all breaks. Uh, so thanks, for, thanks to all breaks for doing this. We'll also qualify uh, if you've already registered for the event and do not forget to comment in hashtag Alpricks in the chat. Uh, so without any further ado, I know this was much awaited. Let's get let's get our guests up here. Hey, Dave. Hey, Melissa. Oh, hey, Monica. Welcome to the Robert Show. How are you? I am living the dream. Happy to be <laughs> here. Happy to be here, Robert. <laughs> Very good. Very excited. Melissa, all good with the tech? Hi. Good morning, Rabbit. Okay. I think so. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. A little uh, bit of internet right. connectivity issue over here. But uh, if you can hear me, I can hear you. Perfect. We can hear you very well. Awesome. Uh, I obviously wanted to, I, I'm, I can't wait to get into uh, a lot around the myths in data science, around analytics, but can we start with your introduction? Obviously, the audience would love to hear more about you, your journey in data science and analytics space, and also, uh, why do you love to, you know, post data science myths? Uh, maybe, Melissa, you can go first. Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, so about me, I have been in the software industry for about 15 years. And in that time, I've done a lot of different things, uh, including originating rapid application development. That's back before Agile was a term. Uh, professional services and product marketing for a number of early stage technology firms in the Bay Area. And prior to that, I worked in accelerator physics. Uh, research, as well as medical data analytics. And my journey to data science, it actually started when I was a teenager. I majored in physics in college, and I learned programming in grad school. And so as an in, uh, experimental or empirical physicist, analyzing beamline data in MATLAB was life for me for a number of years. And so I leaned further into engineering. I wandered into the business and the market-facing side of the house. And as a result, my focus really went from performing the analysis to communicating its meaning and its importance. And to your point about myth-busting, Personally, I love busting data science myths because I love making technical concepts more accessible to lay people. And many data science myths, they, in my opinion, center around this idea that it's this 
dark art. It's apocryphal. It's this really hard to obtain skill. And so a lot of people are not even trying it out. They just self-qualify out of there. And that's a shame, you know, related to this idea of communicating the technical. I want to see more people engaging with data science concepts and becoming comfortable with them and asking questions about the meaning of the technology and the impact of the models in our daily lives. Because let's be real, data science is everywhere, whether we are opening Google Maps or Uber to get somewhere or buying something online or, or even in person, data science and machine learning models are running there in the background. So if you want to be a knowledgeable and empowered member of society, you need to understand the systems that surround you. So that's why I love to bust data science myths. Okay, that's very cool. Thanks for that uh, detailed information, uh, Melissa. And definitely coming from physics, you've come a long way. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, Dave? So I also started uh, my uh, undergrad was in physics, so it's ironic. But oh, then wow. I went into uh, semiconductor manufacturing, and it was a great place to learn data science because you had every data type imag imaginable, electrical data, measurement data, pictures, log data, text data, everything. So it was a great, uh, a great way to get started in data science. And I went from complaining about the data systems to trying to fix them. So I went into data warehousing. I ended up in an analytics center of excellence. And then I went to the dark side of marketing. And so that's where I am now. And I'm so happy to be at Alteryx. It's, uh, it's really, um, it's a great company to work for. And it's, it's a very approachable software. But you know, why do I like myth busting? I think for many, you know, math is scary. But I think um, participating in data and analytics is, is really easier than most people think. You know, I think people just need a little a little nudge, a little activation energy to uh, to get going. So uh, happy to be here. And I'm, I'm glad we got a great crowd on the uh, adding lots of comments there. So looking forward to this. Yeah. Awesome. Dave, Monica. Yeah. Uh, hi, everybody. Monica Cisneros here. Um, so I started my career in neuroscience. I was doing lab research. Um, looking at the vagus nerve, which is a nerve that we have right here, and it activates the lungs and the uh, GI system. And it was fantastic. You know, just starting your life with um, science has always been something that I had since I was a kid, super curious and just like wanted to learn more. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the point of like, hey, you should like, you know, do your PhD and whatnot, uh, you know, tech call me and they're like, hey, you know, let's do some data analytics. Uh, I speak Spanish. So they offer me a job uh, working with clients in LATAM. And, you know, that's kind of where my world opened to software, data science, uh, data analytics. Um, and one thing that has been a theme throughout my career from neuroscience all the way to um, software, data science is, um, what is like perceived impossible, right? There are things, you know, how we're talking about math is hard, uh, you know, software is hard, coding is hard. Um, and in reality of things is like, if you have curiosity and you want to do the problem solving, there are a lot of tools out there that can help you do that. You know, like uh, I had a client that he was doing um, cancer research in, uh, in the camp in Colombia, and he was using tools to help him do that, right? So it can become accessible to everybody. And it, it this idea of like being impossible can be demystified, right? So, so this is why we're doing the myth busting of 
how can we make it accessible and how we can make it, um, you know, like it's it's not that hard, you know, there are ways of, of getting to it. So I'm very happy to be on this show and talk about this. Okay, that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, thanks for that, Monica. And uh, definitely we'd be bursting a lot of myths today. Uh, I'm not only just in data science, I know, uh, you know, Dave has also written a very cool book uh, that I also have it here, Artificial Intelligence, uh, an executive guide to make AI work for your business. So I would definitely love to hear a little about that as well. But before that, I have a comment, like a few comments from our folks. Error is yours. She says, cheers to the David. Cheers to David Sunar and those of us from the semiconductor industry who lived, ate and breathed uh, big data before big data was a thing. So very cool. Uh, also, uh, we have Albert here. He says marketing background is a big winner. So can't <laughs> wait to hear a lot uh, around that. Uh, but Dave, since you've written this fantastic book uh, about AI and I've read it, uh, uh, thanks for sending that over. And, uh, you know, my... I definitely want to know, I have like a lot of questions when AI comes into the game, but uh, can we start with some of the myths uh, about that you have seen in AI? Sure. We're going to try something here. So Monica and uh, Melissa, are you ready? All right, let's do it. <laughs> One, I'll two, be I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> so that is that oh, is David. the uh, that is the number one myth. Um, you know, people think it's the Terminator or Westworld or what have you. But most of the ro robots I've seen on TV, they're making pizzas. Maybe they're on wheels. They can't walk upstairs, and they're connected by a ton of cables. So um, Terminator's number one. The number two is. Um, AI is going to take over the world. And, um, you know, I use the example of self-driving cars. So if you look at GM, Ford, and, and Tesla, they spent over $100 billion. And we saw the first demo 20 years ago. Well, we still don't really have self-driving cars. So um, I, I don't think, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're, it's not going to take over the uh, world, at least immediately. Uh, the third myth is AI is going to take our jobs. And... You don't have to think the computer's going to do it. Well, I look at back to history again, and you know we started with the horse and buggy, and the car was going to ruin everything. Uh, now cars are commonplace, and you know not many people know how to ride a horse. The second one was the industrial revolution. Oh my gosh, water and steam. We have mechanization. You know, I think it's actually made the world better. We've had the computer revolution. We digitize things. You know, we calculator. And I think the AI revolution. You know, per the comments earlier, it's, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere, and I don't. I don't think it's going to take our jobs. It's going to make our lives better, and it really has the power to um, to help humanity. I'll rattle off a couple more. It's for experts only. Not true. It's only for large enterprises. Not true. It's um, it's super hard. Not true. And um, I don't need it. I've heard that one. Uh, you're using it every day, whether you're shopping on Amazon, Netflix, yeah. or, or pick something. Um, you know, I say get on the bus or go out of business. And so, you know, I really have a pragmatic definition of AI. It's data plus analytic insights plus automation. That's how I define define AI. So those are just some of the myths I've heard of. Okay, that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, also, uh, wanted to learn. You know, I have a question here. Let's take the question first, uh, and this could be, you know, this is kind of connected. Uh, so there's this question from Mavi Pinvasra. How do you see ChatGPT integrated with data and analytics space in the near future? Dave, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, I think it's uh, ChatGPT is quite 
impressive. Um, and I think it's going to, it's really good at short form copy. And so for writing ads and, and, and short little things, I think it's great for that. I think for uh, creating longer pieces, um, you know, it can only regurgitate what it's been trained to do. So uh, it's not going to come up with original thought. Um, and so I think there's still still opportunity, but I think it will be integrated in, in quite a few things, you know. Um, so that's just my take on it. I don't know, Melissa or Monica? Uh, I can actually talk about this. There is uh, conversations within Alteryx, like, hey, like, you know, the chat GPT is happening. What can we do? And we're just like, you know, kind of like exploring the thought process of it, right? Like, do we like automate workflows? Do we do, um, you know, how can we integrate it within uh, text analytics? Can we integrate it here? Can we integrate it there? So absolutely. I mean, it's something that is happening today. And it's like not only Alteryx, right? Like, you know, uh, Microsoft is talking about it. Uh, Google mm -hmm. is talking about it. It is such an amazing new piece of uh, something that had already existed, but now we're looking at it in a new light. And then it's getting a lot of, of traction because every day people are talking about it, right? Like the first time I heard about Chad GPT, it was on TikTok from like a random influencer. So, you know, the fact that, um, <laughs> you know, AI is infiltrating our lives to like the level that is this, you know, automated chat generator, like that's, that's just incredible. So yes, absolutely. I think it, it is definitely going to be integrated with data and analytics. Okay, that's very cool. Melissa, any thoughts on that? Uh, just to build on Monica's point, I really think that this opens up a new dimension of conversational interfaces. You know, it's still a little bit unnatural to interact with machines. And so the ability for, you know, chat GPT gives the machine the ability to do more storytelling, tell more rich language responses to prompts. I think that we can see this integrated not just in the data and analytics space, but more broadly to make the machines a little bit more seamless to interact with. Awesome. Very cool. Thanks for those insights. Also, we have a comment here from uh, YouTube that says integrate ChatGPT into Alteryx mm. <laughs> community. What do you think about that? Will Do you think will, that will ever happen or is it already in the process? I don't have an answer. answer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to talk to the community team about that. We don't want to scoop them. If it is, stay tuned. It, it's a great idea, though. You know, talking uh, to, to you know, in plain language, I think is extremely helpful. I think some of the research I've seen on it is that people don't know sort of how to phrase their questions. And I actually found this out with um, trying out with Dolly. To, you know, the gener generative uh, AI for images and things like that. I found it didn't have the language, uh, the vocabulary to describe what type of picture that I wanted it to create, you know, create something in the style of Rembrandt or whatever. I didn't have the vocabulary to be able to tell it even what I wanted. So I think it's still a little bit unnatural and people have to um, uh, really figure out how to phrase their questions. But I think that will that will evolve as, as we move forward. Yeah, I think it's more on the side how, you know, I, I recently saw one video where it's around the first, like every time you ask a question to chat GPT, it might answer it in a bit different way. And that could be because you've asked that question multiple times, or maybe, you know, there are people asking the same question and that's how it's learning from itself. That could be a model, which is, which will, you know, obviously take time. So can't wait for that. And I know for a fact where it's too early, 
for anyone to say that oh we might integrate it very soon uh, though uh, we know microsoft is doing that very quickly so let's see how that goes uh, but nice question we also have one question here from zizika uh, amit there's no creativity in data science would love to learn about the creativity side of uh, data science beyond just visualizations any thoughts there melissa oh i love that great great question jessica so being creative in data science means really understanding the overall goal of the analysis that you're looking to prosecute or the model you're looking to make. I think that data scientists can be diminished into, well, you're just a stats person. You're just a tech head. You're just the person writing the Python code for me and you're training a model. And a, a true data scientist knows it's not that simple. You really have to understand the phenomenon that you're looking to model and understand the variables that you're, you're capturing, the observations, what their meaning is, what their relationship is to one another. Feature engineering is a nightmare. Just picking out and generating the right variables to train the model on is an art. So choosing the right test, the right algorithm to build your machine learning model off of, and just the right method to solve the problem at hand is very much so a creative art. And going back to Monica's point that, hey, ChatGPT has been out there. We're just seeing it in a new light. I think you can generalize that as a creative exercise in data science. It's about problem framing. Are you even asking the right question to achieve that goal? So I think that there's a lot of opportunity mm. beyond beauty. Visualizations are, are delightful. Human interaction with results is really important. But just setting up the, the problem framing, the architecture of, of the, the, the analytic method that you're about to prosecute is so demanding and so requires expertise and creativity. It's one of the reasons I really admire data scientists. Yeah, very cool. Thanks for that question. Uh, and uh, great insights, Melissa. One, uh, I have an, another very interesting question about a myth from Nick. Uh, but before that, obviously, Kate is your, and uh, she mentions about the cool T-shirt that David is wearing. David, we all love your T-shirt. Oh, thank cool. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. So a uh, question from, you, from Nick here. Would love to hear your views on single version of the truth. When it comes to data science and insights, should we be focusing on data lakes or data warehouses or will decentralized data meshes change the world? Is true centralization of data a myth? What do you think there? Very interesting. Oh boy, Nick Jewell, PhD with the hard questions. Well, thank you for that question, Nick. Um, and uh, so I, I think that we see an evolution in how people are training models. So we had big data, what's that 10 years ago, people still refer to it. So we had to put everything in one spot to be able to train models. Now we have small data, and so I think there's an evolution. I think it's really infeasible to take the world's data, squish it together, put it in a big square to train your model. So I know we're, we're, there's people working on federated learning and things like that. I think the important thing for data scientists and, and, and uh, analysts and citizen data scientists that are creating models is that need, they need to select representative samples of data and you know to to sort of try to mitigate bias and things like that so make sure you have uh, uh the right set of data that represents the world you're trying trying to model so it, it, you know there's lots of articles on bias and things like that but i think it's impossible to um 
uh, big, 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 bigger data is not always better, I guess is, is how my, my take on it. But Nick, feel free to argue with me. That's fine. Love it. Uh, Monica or, or Melissa, do you have any thoughts on that? I have, I have maybe two thoughts to contribute. You know, single source of truth is a, an old kind of comforting phrase. And I think that its meaning has evolved, especially in recent years. And now when I hear that phrase, I think less about a one centralized repository that has all the data points we trust and more about the organization coming to an agreement about the definition of metrics, about what that data means, how we measured it, and what we're going to do with it, right? Like there are classic examples out there about, hey, how did we define Europe? Does Europe include the Middle East? Did we include Turkey? If that region's a part of our metrics, how do we how do we agree upon how much revenue we made in that region? And so coming to an agreement about what our measures mean and how we're going to collect that data to me is what single source of truth means. And the the second point I wanted to make is, you know, your your point, Nick, about is the data mesh the future? I, I see it as we're moving to more and more federated models of data ownership. And to me, that is going to scale better for growing organizations and offer the flexibility that different domains need to be able to prosecute data-informed decision-making and getting insight. So I, I thoroughly look forward to seeing more federation and, and things like data mesh being leveraged in the enterprise. And I don't think that the two are necessarily at odds having a single source of truth and yet also federated data. Yeah, no, I think those are good points. Uh, thanks, Melissa, Dave. Uh, also, quick question that I have for you, Melissa and Monica. Uh, what do you think, uh, you know, how can AI be used in, improve, in, in the improvement of decision-making and predict future trends in a business? How do you look at that side? Yeah, um, I, can, I can get started here. I think that one myth I want to get across is like that, AI ML is only for big companies, right? Only Netflix, only Amazon can use it, right? And I really, like, you know, I have been seeing it in my own clients in, you know, small SMB. I'm looking at it like uh, specific people, like consultants, um, data for good projects. I have seen people that they don't have a big budget, they don't have a big team. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, what really helps is that the tools that they are getting, whether they are, you know, from code, uh, from open source, or, you know, they decide to invest in like one single license of, you know, what it is, you know, data visualization, or they decide to do an auto ML tool, um, they get a lot of value out of like a single license or from that free code. And I have seen my clients do a very, very exciting things, right? It's like, hey, I have this like mob and pop shop and I starting my two franchises. How can I work with the uh, warehousing and how can I optimize that warehouse, right? So like that is where the efficiencies start, right? Yeah, you can get you know, Amazon with their like very complex uh, network of delivery, you can get all the way to that, right? Like the scale that is something that has already been proven. But now we're to yeah. the point where the technology has been advancing enough where like people without the expertise of like a data scientist team can get access to that. And one thing that I really love is actually seeing it uh, done in, very creative ways. Um, there are a few uh, people on TikTok that I love to follow. For example, um, mm. 
there's a TikToker that does data for fashion trends. And she basically has her own code and like looks at what has been done in the runway and then looks like, oh, 30% bottom down shirts and, you know, ballet flats are in fashion now. So then all of, you know, that she is, you know, either buying or influencing other people based on data analytics. And that one's awesome. There's another one um, that looks at bachelor data and is looking at, you know, how, um, you know, the contestants are doing within the bachelor and using data analytics to do that, right? So we can use data analytics in very, very creative ways and we can use it without being this like, you know, huge enterprise with like 10 data scientists. You know, we're, we're at that moment where, we're finally able to use it, you know, all of us. Hmm, very cool. I think uh, those are great insights. Uh, definitely TikTok is something which many of the data and analytic folks are leveraging. And this is one of the good examples that you've shared. Melissa, what do you think? Oh, I, I completely agree. And really, if you think about, you know, the promise of AI, it's faster, more accurate, and more consistent decision-making, really, if we're thinking about what AI can do for business. Like, for example, predictive modeling is really well-known uh, form of machine learning that we are seeing adopted in enterprise today. And predictive models, they just work better than human estimates, human guesswork, or even deterministic algorithms to accurately estimate what could happen next. And, you know, to the point of the fact that this is really a discussion about myths, I want to revisit, David, I think you mentioned this, you mentioned a lot of myths very quickly. But, <laughs> but one that I think is really relevant in response to Rabbit's question here is that AI will take our jobs, right? Like mm. this, I think this is an important myth, because it's actually, in my opinion, a half truth. So AI may very well displace some jobs in some sectors. We are seeing that in healthcare, in customer service, in logistics, right? No one can deny that a self-driving car, to David's point, when they show up, will make a human driver that much less necessary. But most experts believe that AI and robotics, they're going to create more jobs than they remove from the marketplace. They may create new markets. AI is evolving, it's gathering new responsibilities, getting an increasing role, but really, I believe it's going to be complementing and augmenting most jobs, not replacing them. I've seen studies of thousands of companies where researchers find that the most significant performance improvements from the introduction of AI is when humans and machines work together, right? Because in this context of AI, as humans, which is, we're pretty invested in being humans, there are three big things we do. We train the machines, we teach the AI what to do, to David's point previously, they don't come with a lot of context, they're not generalist systems. Um, we explain the outcomes, the results, especially when those results can be counterintuitive. And humans sustain the responsible use of the machines. They decide which problems are appropriate to apply AI. So in this way, I think AI needs us just as much as we're going to need it. Yeah, no, I think uh, definitely. Those are great points. Uh, Dave, anything to round up? I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, one thing I found, um, you know, I think it is going to make our lives, you know, better and it's going to can help humanity. Um, but a lot of people I, I talk to, I think this is interesting. Um, a lot of people use uh, Alteryx software for we have a computer vision capability. So, you know, getting things out of PDFs mm. or shipping invoices and things like that. I'm like, hey, you're doing AI. 
I am. <laughs> so they so they don't even know they're doing AI. But I tell you what, no one wants to copy stuff from systems A to B to C. You know, doing that monotonous, mundane, boring work all day long. You know, whether they're in spreadsheets mm. or or whatever. You know, I think AI we can automate that piece. We have lots of clients that automate sort of that mundane task, so they can mm. they can focus on sort of higher value activities. Yeah, no, I think uh, for sure that's uh, very interesting, Dave. And uh, I know for a fact where I talk to a lot of people as well, and sometimes it's like, oh, do we we don't use AI in our day to day, but you do. You pick up your phone, you're using AI in many more ways uh, than you can even imagine. So I I can't uh, agree more on that. Uh, okay, quick question. You know, just shifting gears a little here. In uh, in terms of you know democratizing analytics seems to be you know on every data leader's agenda today, and we've been hearing a lot about it. So what does it mean to democratize analytics, and what myths do you see floating around this idea, Melissa? Any thoughts around that? Yeah, I I have lots of opinions about this. So start starting simple. To democratize something, it means to make it available to more people, to the masses. In the case of democratizing analytics, especially in business, that means enabling a larger contingent of the workforce to access and prosecute analytics, either fully independently or, or semi-independently. And I believe this is an excellent strategy for analytics leaders to explore because it lets more of the decisions in the business become truly data-driven. It can also ensure that if you do have highly skilled analytics professionals on board, folks like data scientists, they're going to be dedicating their talent and focusing their resources on solving the business's biggest challenges, right? The most difficult questions rather than just addressing recurring business as usual mm. questions, right? They are coming from other business units and business teams. So I feel strongly that democratization is a great strategy, but there are, I would say, Ravit, probably three major myths floating around in the yep. space regarding democratizing analytics. Um, the first, oh, that's easy. It just requires giving everybody a dashboard. Second, <laughs> democratizing analytics ruins governance. And third, democratizing analytics doesn't have an impact on the business. It's just sort of a feel-good activity. So those are the three myths. And if it's okay with you, I would be happy to bust or burst each one of those. <laughs> so awesome. So the first one about dashboards. It's easy. Give everybody a dashboard. Dashboards are great, but dashboards do not equal democratization. So the problem here is data is not helpful unless it has been collected and analyzed to answer a particular question. And consumers of things like visualizations, that, that's they're great, but if they don't understand the data's meaning or they don't understand how it was transformed via analytics or they don't understand the phenomenon that the data is measuring, well, they're going to be drawing incorrect conclusions then. And so that's why uh, establishing appropriate levels of data literacy in the business is so important. You can't just huck new tools at people. You have to ensure that they're actually properly trained to leverage them and interpret the results that are coming from them. So that's myth number one, in my opinion. Uh, the second one had to do with governance. And we definitely do hear this anxiety, particularly from IT leaders, that, hey, if I democratize analytics, we're going to have chaos. I can't govern. And I think the reality is that democratization and governance 
they're allies, they're not adversaries, right? Some people think giving more people access to data, more people access to analytics, that will invite an analytics chaos. And sure, some of the organization's data is sensitive. The data, you know, may have data security protocols around it, has to be accessed and stored in very specific ways. But a key part of democratizing analytics properly is to ensure that the analytics processes that get developed, they're compliant, right, with those requirements. So information technology, the IT folks, they should be involved, but you can't expect them to do everything for you when it comes to data. Really, your business users should be empowered to help. So, you know, depending upon the size of your organization, there's a variety of governance models you can uh, use. One of my favorites is this decentralized model that engages the owners of the analytics processes and the data. This is especially nice if you're looking for at a data, decentralized data framework as well. And this approach to democratization is really sustainable because analytics can go through localized validation processes that meet the big company-wide requirements. So democratization governance, not at odds, absolutely doable. And the third myth was about, oh, no business value, right? Mm -hmm. I believe strongly democratization makes a measurable difference in business. The idea of it, you know, giving data to the people, right? That, that sounds really feel good and really fuzzy. Um, and inclusion is a noble goal uh, unto itself, but leaders should recognize that putting analytics into the hands of your business teams, the folks who are on the front lines of your organization, that's going to enable them to prosecute their jobs shockingly more effectively. It tightens feedback cycles in the business because it's removing latency of waiting for support or waiting for outside insight. So it's going to make your organization more agile in the face of, you know, a changing market or being able to anticipate upcoming trends in, in the marketplace. In fact, according to the International Institute for Analytics, the ability to do analytics across multiple business units in your business increases something um, that's called your organization's analytics maturity. Analytics maturity correlates to like 60 different important KPIs, things like three-year revenue, 10-year operating income. Mm. And businesses mm. that do this, that leverage analytics broadly, can outperform their competitors by like a 4x margin in revenue. There's very compelling evidence for the value, business value, bottom line of democratization. So don't believe the myths about democratizing analytics. It's an impactful business endeavor. It's not gonna invite analytics chaos if you do it properly. And doing it properly includes not just purchasing tools, but also upskilling your people. Yeah, I told you I had so a I think, lot of opinions. I, and I think I'm pretty sure, you know, all these uh, myths are uh, very important to be, you know, put out there to the audience. And, uh, you know, you've done it very well. So thanks, Melissa, for getting that out in detail. We have a lot of questions, like there's a lot of questions coming in. So let's take a few questions here from the audience. Uh, and we can start with... Uh, one question you have from Dustin. So Dustin is asking, what's an example of how you've seen uh, ML applied within small organizations? Any thoughts there? I know, Monica, you kind of work around a lot. With, yeah. The space. So uh, um, one example that David brought up was uh, PDF reading. Um, so looking at the PDFs, bringing them up, uh, digitizing them, and then analyzing that. Um, that is one really huge uh, use case that I have seen. Um, mm. 
I have seen other ones like, for example, um, revenue uh, forecasting. Um, that is something that every business does, right? And we're using time series forecasting in order to do that, looking at, you know, specific uh, time segments and looking, you know, is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? Um, other ones that I have seen is, for example, classification, um, where we are looking at customers and we are segmenting them in different groups, right? Is this like a high value customer because they spend money, you know, so much in, you know, every single day of the year? Or is it because they have a big lump sum of money that they do only in December? Right. So like we're able to like segment our customers that way. And one thing where I have seen small organizations go even further is once they do the classification, they basically um, create discounts for those specific people. Right. You run like marketing campaigns, you run discounts. And based on the person that you are in that classification, you're going to get a different email uh, or a different discount coming up. So we can incentivize those people to spend uh, more money more frequently or that same amount of money more times during the year, right? So those mm. are, you know, very specific examples of like where I have seen it with uh, our customers in small organizations. Yeah, no, I think uh, definitely those are great insights about, you know, how uh, machine learning is applied in within the small organizations. Thanks for that question, Dustin. We have another question here from Zisika and uh, very interesting. I really enjoy anomaly detection. So many novel approaches and more often than not, uh, anomalies are tied to specific moments or periods of great interest, fraudulent transaction, medical diagnosis, etc. Could you please speak to Alteryx anomaly detection capabilities? I know a tough one, but uh, <laughs> definitely a great question there. Um, does anybody want to talk about this? If not, I can take it. Yeah, please, yeah, Monica. Go ahead. Just off, Monica. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, anomaly detection is uh, one of, of the biggest use cases that we have, especially that one is actually more in um, larger organizations, right? Because you're trying to like catch it as fast as possible in order for um, things to not basically like de-escalate things or like try to prevent things, right? So um, we have um, different ways of doing that at Alteryx, right? So like Alteryx Designer, we do have uh, tools that allows us to create our own rules um, of triggers, right? So like if something has a, you know, it, it passes a certain threshold, we're able to flag it and be able to uh, push it. We also do that with server, automating it and making sure that we're, you know, we're sending communications out. Um, we do have new products in our cloud uh, space mm -hmm. uh, with automated machine learning. And we're able to look at that historical data and flag the transactions that, you know, are out of the ordinary. One way of doing that is with, you know, classification methods, right? As I was talking about where we can classify customers, we can also classify other types of data, like, for example, transaction, right? So like something goes off that threshold, we're able to uh, identify it and we're able to pull, uh, put rules on it. So there are a lot of ways that we can do that with Alteryx, but those are um, two specific ways on how mm -hmm. we do it with uh, two different products, but they can also work together. So that is right. where the magic of 
the interconnectivity and like bringing it everything together um, to basically automate things. And that's what we're really good at. Yeah. And maybe Monica, if I could just add, there's another uh, perspective on that. So Monica was really describing, you know, tools, if you want to create sort of an anomaly detector or, you know, and so we we certainly have a a number of tools that do that. We also have a a product in our, our Alteryx Analytics cloud called Auto Insights. And what that product does, this is, so this is like, I'm not creating the algorithm, you load in data and it tells you these are the anomalies. You don't have to do anything. You said, these are the five KPIs, 10, however many KPIs you want to track, you simply load in the data and outcomes. These are unexpected changes. These are anomalies. These are why things are going, you know, root cause analysis, why things are going up and down. So this is really targeted towards the, I'll say, consumer of analytics output. So just in in dashboards and in plain language, it tells you why things are going up and down and you don't have to know how to do anything. The, The tool does it for you. Okay. Yeah, those are pretty cool insights around the anomalies detections. of thanks, Monica. Thanks, Dave, for adding that thought there. Also, Dave, you know, I have one question around, uh, which I've been, I'm sure you guys also go through that question a lot, which is around how can data science and analytics be made more accessible to non-technical users? Because it's one of the, you know, biggest challenges uh, in if I if I don't talk about the data uh, space, but other industries, uh, it can be a challenge. So, what do you think about that? You know, I think building on um, Melissa's comments earlier about democratization of analytics—that's really what what Alteryx is all about. You know, I think we have—I don't know the latest number—between three and five hundred thousand active members of our communities. That speaks to the wow. ease of use and the intuitiveness of our of our software. But I would say, to how do we make it available? We're already here, so you don't have to wait. Uh, the computer does the math for you, and, and a lot of you know our software. You know, there's a big red easy button, so it does that for you. Uh, I think the challenge that you know some things that, um, and, and Melissa touched on this earlier, some things that you'd have to think is how do you formulate your problem, the question you're asking data, how do you structure your data so you can ask that and answer that business question. So once you can do that then you can push the big red easy button. So our software is low code, no code. If you want to write code, great write code, but you don't have to. You just drag and drop the tools out there, push the easy button, and it's going to recommend the best uh, method for the for the task at hand. But I think the key is understanding what the business question you're having, making sure you have mm. the right quality of data, make sure your data is not biased, and then you push the easy button and it's going to give you an answer. Okay. I think uh, definitely put it very well uh, there, Dave, and, uh, you know, a lot depends on the community as well. So that's there. Uh, thanks for that. One follow-up question, actually, uh, just something which was related to democratizing uh, that I asked to Melissa was, uh, you know, what are like the best practices for collaboration between the data scientists and, you know, the subject matter experts uh, in democratizing data science and analytics? What do you think there? Well, I, I think, think that, oh yeah. Oh, please go ahead, Monica. Oh, sorry. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, uh, Melissa and David have touched upon very specific topics, right? It's like, we're talking about uh, tooling. So like no code really helps out and um, democratizing, you know, we're able to, you know, have access to people and, and the data. One thing that is very, very important, and I have seen this in like medium to like larger size organizations, um, that is very important is finding innovators. 
Um, and yeah. these are people who want to do more with what they have today. These are people who are looking to, you know, expand their horizons in terms of like what data means to them. And these innovators also tend to be uh, leaders within their own groups. They don't necessarily have to have a leadership title, but they are themselves leaders and they bring people together. So, you know, right. these innovators bring in the team together and, you know, like how they do it is that um, they have an inventory of challenges. So like, take a look at what you have done so far historically. What are we having trouble with today? What are our biggest challenges? What takes the most time today? Uh, prioritize them and then bring in the use cases, right? So you have your problem and then you have your solution. With your solution, uh, rank those problems and see like, hey, you know, what is going to be easiest to get, but also what is the most important, right? What is taking us the most time and the most resources, but then also we can achieve faster. And one thing where when people are starting to think about data science, they think that they have to start really big. They have to have this like whole entire strategy and they have to, you know, have everything solved. But in reality, what I have seen where we get the most out of tools, the most out of this transformation is when you start small, right? Like when you prioritize those use cases, you know, start with like one or two. I would recommend up to five to start if you're mm. doing it by yourself. If you have somebody else coming in, yeah, you can expand it to like 10, 15. Um, but if you're doing it by yourself, like start small, it's okay. And then have a proof of concept to build the value and the trust, right? So like test things, test the hypotheses, uh, fail fast. I think that that is one key message that I have heard from clients over and over again that, you know, that that's where they go into success. And when you're doing this proof of concept, I think one that turns into actual change is when you get leadership involved, right? So you're you know, having these use cases, you talk to leadership, you have the proposal, you're doing the testing. And then once you're done, once uh, you, you are going to um, present the results, the value to leadership, right? That's how you get expanded. That's how you create a business case. And that's how you're able to go from like one, two use cases to like 20, right? Um, here at Alteryx, mm. we do have this like program where we help people create this process and do it a lot uh, bigger, right? So like we do all the way to like 15 use cases with you and we help you create that, um, uh, presentation to leadership. So yeah, we're here to help you, but then you can also do it by yourself if you are narrowing out that scope. Great point. Melissa? Awesome. That is such a great example of basically leading change through the process of introducing data science and a new type of innovation right. to the organization. Um, my thought as far as the best practices for collaboration um, well, there's actually, what do the individuals do on the ground, right? The data scientists, the subject matter expert, how do they work together literally, which I'll touch on in a moment. But before I do, because I want to build on Monica's point that you need to prove to the org that this will work and get everyone on board. If you're a data exactly. leader and you're, you're thinking about, okay, I've got to get these types of folks to work together. There are bigger challenges than those humans and their working styles. Mm. Organizationally, 
you do need to get buy-in from the top down. You do need to get your senior leadership on board and you need to get them to basically walk the walk, demonstrate that there is value in leveraging data science, advanced analytics in their major business decisions. So there's this top-down approach as much as there's the bottom up, which again, I'll double click on in a moment mm. of enabling more subject matter experts to engage well and properly with data science and the data scientists. The data scientists themselves, your analytics team, you have to make sure you're enabling them, giving them the right data stack, the best tools, and ensuring that the processes that they're following are auditable, transparent, but they're also not being choked to death by access controls that are inhibiting their creativity. And then finally, right. as a partner, right, so we're sort of going into the team and now out across the org, you're going to want to make sure that you have functional relationships with those other business units and come to agreements about how analytics should be used. So governance isn't purely just IT tops down. Governance is an agreement about a set of behaviors that all business units will engage in around mm. So there's, we're, we're going to be coming out, um, Ultra Eggs plug, we're going to be coming out with some guidance along this, specific playbooks that analytics leaders can um, look to, to really ensure that data science spreads throughout the org. As Monica said, this is really how you send up the first flare and demonstrate success and lead change. We have ways to scale that change, not just technically, but organizationally. Finally, I'll answer your question, Rabbit. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> so the actual humans on the ground, enabling collaboration between your data scientists and your subject matter experts, it's all about establishing a common language between them. So these can be very different types of professionals, right? Data scientists are very comfortable with coding languages and statistical constructs. And not all subject matter experts are necessarily going to be able to, to match that. So you're going to want to look for ways in which data science processes can be easily documented in terms that subject matter experts can readily understand. And on the converse mm -hmm. side, subject matter experts need utilities to help them describe <laughs> hi again all right so i'll just i'll just pick on back up because that was fascinating um i think i think i was going on about so i had said data scientists need to be able to have their have their work documented in a way that's comprehensible and on the flip side subject matter experts who don't use code necessarily they need a way to describe their business requirements in terms that will also be meaningful for the data scientist and so if you think mm -hmm. about in this situation a great solution are no and low code platforms, right? They do a wonderful job of building this exact sort of bridge between these two kinds of visual programming interface, you know, that they can work in and that lets them leverage whatever data literacy they do have to describe the phenomenon and the business that they need modeled. And the data scientists basically turn to the back end of the platform and draw out the hard feature engineering requirements, the appropriate model types they should be using, and any relevant variables to effectively apply machine learning to that business process that's being described. So organizationally, there's a lot you can do. And tactically for these individuals, look for low and no code tools that allow them to share a common language as they go through the process. Okay, that was good. Even with the technical difficulty, we got at least more of you, Marissa, more of those insights. So thanks for that. Uh, Dave, any thoughts there? Yeah, a couple, you know, I think just to, you know, reiterate some of the points earlier was that, you know, think big, 
start small, act fast. Mm -hmm. um, it is approachable. You can do it. Just get started. Don't don't opine and think about this for a month or three months. Just get started today. Uh, the software yeah. is there and, 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 and fail fast. Uh, the other thing on collaboration is reminds me of a story. I used to teach agile software development when it you know sort of first came out. And it was like a three day class. And I think I could have taught the class and a big got a big book associated with it. I could have taught this class with one slide. Talk. So make sure you pick up the phone, get in the same room, and talk to your colleagues. We are human, and I think uh, I think people forget that we try to do too too many things through through ticket sy systems like Jira and Asana and what have right. you, and and we don't pick up the phone. It's only via chat. There's so much more if you just please talk. I can't encourage that enough. Yeah. No, I think uh, definitely it's more on the side where you know it's about talking and getting through and you mentioned that very well Dave so thanks for that also quickly before we get on to something you know obviously I'm looking out for some good news some spice that you can give us about what's coming up next at Alfred's but before that I want to take one question around uh, this from Dustin Yor uh, does Alfred's help accelerate the creation of documentation around data processes and workflows any thoughts Melissa yeah. what do you want yeah. to go yeah, I feel yeah. like we're, we're all very politely trying not to step on each other's toes. So, uh, <laughs> Dustin, you've asked a yes or no question. My answer is absolutely yes. Um, there are a number of different ways across the Alteryx platform to do this. This dovetails to my point that data scientists' work needs to be easily documented so that it's consumable by mere mortals. Uh, taking as an example Alteryx Designer or Alteryx Designer Cloud it is a visual programming interface. And so, as you're working within it, mm. you're um, executing these automated data transfer transformations. We have these pre-built building blocks that allow you to do different types of manipulation and actually watch the data transform through an interactive results grid as you go through each step of your analytics workflow process. When you're done, obviously you have an entire working data pipeline that can take data from one state and deliver it back to you, to a dashboard, to some other third-party system, to a database, et cetera, back to the cloud in its final transform state. Now, what's a nightmare about doing this in other tools, even you know, in coding tools, good luck for people who don't code in that language to understand what's happening. In spreadsheets, don't get me started. The world of nested formulas <laughs> is a nightmare. And then to even understand why those choices were made, no way. But in a visual interface like Alteryx Designer, for example, you can see, I mean, we're talking we have children and tweens getting comfortable with these concepts. Our Alteryx Spark Ed program actually ensures that college students can leverage this, this software to learn um, statistics and data analytics. You can see graphically the exact transformation steps at a very high level. What is the general plot line for the data? What steps is it going through? If you want to drill into any one of those steps and understand exactly how that filter worked or exactly what that group by statement was about, you can open those up and drill into the level of detail needed. If you want to understand why a transformation took place, well, good news, we have commenting capabilities. So you can get little text bubbles all over the place saying, do this for this reason. And so documentation, which is a nightmare, and I know there's a lot of utilities out there to try to help data scientists better document their code mm. and autodocs, et cetera. Programs like Alteryx Designer, that's just baked in. 
that's not that's not even an extra step. It just comes with it. And the beautiful part is that it really doesn't require a steep learning curve to start speaking that visual language. So yeah. that's my that's my long yes for Dustin. David, Monica, do you want to build on that in any way? No, I like that because you're right on the comments. You know, if people haven't seen um, our our software, it's you know people are putting colored boxes on there. So this module is doing this, and this thing's doing this, and so you can you can organize it to whatever makes sense for you and your business, and then they they do that as they build these workflows. Yeah, very cool, awesome. So we I I thanks for that those insights and thanks for that question, Justin. Before. Uh, you know, we get on to the last question. One big question that I I have is, what's next for tricks? What's exciting that's coming up? And also, you you guys can give us some good news at least. Uh, it's start of the year, so uh, at least we'll expect that. Monica. Yes, I have my very shameless plug. On February 16, twenty three, we're going to have our altered next, and I also have a cool shirt. Oh, wow. Or Alteryx Analytics Cloud. Uh, so, you know, go check it out. Honestly, like our cloud products are really, really cool. Uh, Dear to my heart is uh, machine learning. It's an auto ML tool. Uh, you already heard about David about auto insights. Uh, amazing for like insight generation. You just put in your data and then you're going to get root cause analysis, missions, uh, time series data. And then um, we're also going to have our designer cloud, you know, the um designer that you love and you use every day but now it's going to be accessible via uh, the browser with all of the tools that you need um that are used very commonly and you know drag and drop it and everything is in the same place um so yes we're uh, very excited and then we're gonna have a lot more things coming up in alteryx analytics cloud because we release features weekly so yeah, go and check it out. It's amazing. February 16th, it is the big day. Um, so yeah, come and join us at Alter Next. Awesome. And I've already shared the link with the folks here so they can go and check it out. I've already registered for it and uh, can't wait to attend. It's on the Feb 16th. So looking forward to that. Thanks for that, uh, Monica. So Melissa? Oh, yeah. To, to build on more exciting things to come, I'm going to do a completely shameless plug for uh, David and myself. We um, we have a new book coming out in just a, a few oh, short wow. weeks um, to complement. Oh, you've got. Oh, you've also got the one that we've already. <laughs> all right. So we have a classic it's, that's it's been out. Go ahead, David. Tease. It's just a tease. <laughs> I love you, David. <laughs> so we we actually we have a couple i guess now o'reilly books we've written together david is the world's greatest writing partner rabbit so if you're ever looking for help i mean he's a prolific author anyway so automating yeah. analytics is is out available from o'reilly you can also score a copy through alteryx it's all about the idea of analytics automation and business a lot of great strategies there and coming out in just a shoe uh, a shoe for weeks that's a spoonerism thanks folks a few short weeks is going to be our next nova, novella about analytics. It's going to be about democratizing analytics, organizational strategies that leaders can pursue to ensure the power mm. of data is being put into more hands of more people. So stay tuned 
for that. Um, and I did comment on this idea really briefly, if you caught it, of analytics maturity. If you are intrigued yeah. to learn more about that, we have a uh, free, super quick and easy analytics maturity assessment you can take on oh, alterix.com. Wow. Yeah, in our resources. It is a great way to get the conversation started within your organization about your current analytics posture and how you want to develop the rest of your 2023 roadmap with data. Okay, that's pretty cool. I'll also share the link for the uh, analytics maturity assessment with the folks. But uh, awesome. this was great. We've sh- I know we're almost time and uh, I've heard so much uh, good insights today. It's uh, And I can go on for another hour, but I'm sure uh, we all have to, we'll, we'll do a, a two-pointer session and we'll have more fun when there's more uh, to discuss. But uh, if you know first of all thanks for all the details that uh you know melissa david monica you all have shared i think i've loved each and every details and uh i know for a fact where we couldn't cover all the questions from the audience but i'm sure uh you guys can go back and you know check those and you know respond to our viewers out there uh but before uh we we you know move uh to our next uh uh, tasks obviously i know uh people would want to reach out to you so what's the best way they can find you reach out and uh, learn more about analytics all tricks about the new book that you guys are coming up with the new uh conference that's coming up uh, what's the best place monica so i'm i'm everywhere i do have a link tree with like absolutely everything but in uh linkedin you can find me as monica cisneros and twitter mm-hmm. monica s Cisneros and Instagram Monica S Cisneros as well. So yeah, I'm in all the socials. Uh, so yeah, come and reach out. Very happy to chat with everybody. And um, are you are you also starting up with TikTok very soon? And <laughs> <laughs> you know what, my TikTok there. is like literally videos of my dogs. So <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see a beautiful basset hound, go and check out my TikTok too. <laughs> okay, very good. Cool. Darling, I love it. Um, similarly, Monica has taught me about many things, and she also recently showed me Linktree. So you can now also find me on Linktree at Melissa Burrows, which is an incredible social link aggregator. Uh, if you're not a fan of new things, you can find me on LinkedIn at Melissa Burrows, or on Twitter, I am at Mel Buzz. Feel free to tweet at me or find me on LinkedIn or explore Linktree and stalk me everywhere. <laughs> I share the links with all the folks there, so you can go check out. Just uh, reach out to Monica, and Melissa, Dave. What about you? So, also on LinkedIn and Twitter, and you can actually physically drive your car to Vermont, stop over, <laughs> say hi. We'll have a beer. It's snowy right now and cold, but uh, just find me. I'm here, waiting. <laughs> Awesome. So, so we know uh, Dave is the coolest out there. He's, you know, always uh, up for a beer. He's always up for meeting and chatting and discussing more about data and analytics. And so is Melissa and Monica. So you guys can definitely reach out to them, learn more about data and analytics. But this was super insightful. Thanks again, David, Melissa, Monica, for doing this. And for our audience, obviously, we haven't forgotten about the giveaway. Like I mentioned, we'll be announcing the giveaway towards the next uh, early next week in the newsletter we'll be announcing and obviously those who have gone out and registered for the event asked questions attended and uh, you know also reposted about it will be uh, definitely choosing the winner and doing that raffle and look at the cool gang here 
seen that off. Very cool. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Thanks, thanks everyone for joining in, and uh, thank you uh, to our guest uh, for joining us. Thank you, Robert. Take care, everybody.